Welcome to The Term, a podcast about the Supreme Court by Law 360. I'm Jimmy Hoover. I cover the court. And joining me from New York is co-host Natalie Rodriguez. How are you today, Natalie? Hey, Jimmy. Okay. Kind of wishing it would stop snowing outside my window. <laughs> is it still snowing up there? It's it's it kind of is. slowed down a little bit here in D.C., but definitely some nasty yeah. weather. I, although we can't complain, obviously. Our, I, I know my, my mind and my heart is going out to everyone in Texas who's just like not equipped for the snowstorm that they've got and they're obviously going through some really tough times you know at least here in the northeast this is kind of old hat if even if i'm just kind of done with it absolutely absolutely so it's funny just recently i think the snow has occasioned the publication of a very interesting new supreme court story for uh, nerds like us um, this one from Supreme Court lawyer Carter Phillips, who who wrote just a delightful um, little narrative on the Supreme Court Historical Society's website, recounting the time where you know it snow. It, there was a blizzard in Washington D.C. in in I think it was 1996 when he had to actually hitch a ride to the court to the Supreme Court where he had oral arguments that day because. Chief Justice William Rehnquist had refused to close the court, and he had to hitch a ride with two members of the court themselves. It's a really fun read. What really gets me is, like, he actually, like, dialed up one of the justices. I I think it was Justice Scalia, and asked for a ride. And I don't know if I would ever, ever have the courage to ask a a justice for a ride into the Supreme Court. I don't know that I would either then again i don't really have the confidence to get up in the supreme court and like deliver an oral <laughs> argument to nine very inquisitive justices so maybe you know that just goes to show he's a he's a fearless litigator you know inside the court and outside because yeah absolutely that that definitely takes some gall to do but it's a really fun story and there was one anecdote that he tells i encourage everyone to read it but one fun uh, little side detail was uh, Justice Antonin Scalia ordering his marshal to <laughs> blow through all the red lights in this very snowy uh, Washington day. But yeah, everyone should go ahead and head over to that website and give it a read. But we yes. got a pretty big uh, topic to discuss today, right? Yeah. So I guess first off to our our avid listeners, uh, apologies that this episode might be hitting your podcast app a, a little late, but we, we, we have delayed We're fielding our a lot of angry calls. You know, <laughs> why, why didn't this come out last night? <laughs> for good reason, for good reason. So there was a very rare congressional hearing on the Supreme Court yesterday afternoon. Um, so we, we decided to delay our recording so that we could talk about that. And we will. It was on the shadow docket. Very interesting. Um, but I guess first, maybe we should talk about um, an interesting set of opinions in a death penalty case that actually leads us to that um, that topic of the shadow docket. Uh, you know, Barrett joined with three liberals and a mystery justice to to block an execution of an Alabama prisoner who wanted his pastor in the execution chamber. Um, Jimmy, I know you've been following this one a little bit. Can you kind of give the details about the case and just kind of talk this through about what's happening with this mystery justice? So Alabama had gone to the Supreme Court to be allowed to proceed with the execution of a death row inmate, Willie Smith. Now, as you said, the court denied the request and essentially ruled in favor of Smith's claim um, that he be allowed to have his spiritual advisor present in the execution room. Now, we know the votes of seven of the justices, right? So Justice Kavanaugh, he wrote a dissent. Chief Justice Roberts joined that dissent. 
Thomas also indicated that he dissented in the case. And we know that, you know, the three liberal justices plus Amy Coney Barrett, they agreed with the court's decision to block the execution. Now, that leaves two justices who we don't know um, what their votes were because they didn't actually indicate it, right? So, you know, if you're keeping score at home, it, the votes we do know is a, a four to three decision to block um, the execution. But obviously, you know, you, there's nine justices voting here. And so you need at least five to get to a majority. So one of either uh, Samuel Alito or Neil Gorsuch had to have concurred um, with the court's ultimate decision to block the execution. But we don't know which or whether potentially it was both. And that's because when it comes to these shadow docket rulings, the justices don't actually have to note which way they voted, so long as behind the scenes they get to the math where they have a clear majority. And it's just one of the ways in which what we can refer to as the shadow docket is a little bit less transparent than, say, the merits docket, where cases go through public oral arguments and like, and you know which way each justice voted. Which kind of leads us to this this judiciary hearing yesterday. You know, um, some of the criticism of, of not knowing you know, who's lining up where is that, A, you don't really know if justices are, why justices might be changing their take on some of these cases. Um, you know, we've seen a number of these spiritual advisor cases with different results in, in the last few years. Um, and also it just, it just brings up um, an issue for the lower courts to, to not understand the full reasoning because, you know, these are usually very short, brief orders with not a lot of understanding why they're getting to, to these decisions, which doesn't really help the lower courts uh, to kind of muddle through exactly where they should be standing. Exactly. And another point is that the, the Supreme Court, while, you know, the number of oral arguments and decisions on the merits that it's been handing down has kind of decreased over the years, the Supreme Court is actually been, you know, utilizing its shadow docket at an ever-increasing rate um, to decide ever more substantive and divisive even legal issues. And we're not just talking about the death penalty. We're talking about, you know, recently we've seen shadow docket rulings on the COVID-19, you know, pandemic and the legality of certain health restrictions. Maybe it's a shadow docket ruling on, you know, as we saw last fall, on different election procedures. Um, and we saw over the course of the Trump administration, a lot of shadow docket rulings um, on different Trump administration policies affecting things like immigration. Um, so it, it's certainly kind of risen to the fore recently, hence why these uh, lawmakers on the House, uh, on this House Judiciary Subcommittee felt the need to call this kind of first ever congressional hearing on the shadow docket yesterday. That was a, a pretty interesting listen. To really highlight, you know, just why the, the, the lawmakers got together uh, yesterday, here's Chairman Hank Johnson. We are not here to doubt the justice's hard work, but in order for justice to be fair, justice must be open. The court's recent shadow docket decisions demonstrate that at a minimum, more transparency is needed. Knowing why the justices selected certain cases, how each of them voted, and their reasoning is indispensable to the public's trust in the court's integrity. So, Jimmy, that's why the Congressional Committee uh, got together yesterday. But, but what did we hear from witnesses? 
So there were four witnesses, three of whom were called by Democrats, uh, one GOP witness, but they all kind of seemed to agree with the basic premise at issue. And I would say that this was the case for the lawmakers as well, is that it's kind of a bipartisan issue that people think that more transparency for the Supreme Court is, you know, a good thing on its face. But obviously, there was a lot of different takes on, you know, just what the source of the problem with the lack of transparency is and, and definitely what to do about it. Um, but, you know, to your to your question about what we heard from the witnesses, there was one uh, one of the Democratic witnesses, Amir Ali of the MacArthur Justice Center, who is a Supreme Court lawyer who represents um, death row inmates bringing the types of claims that we were talking about just earlier from, you know, for instance, Alabama prisoner Willie Smith. You know, he highlighted the, 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 the problems with some of those recent decisions, saying that the court has kind of been coming to inconsistent results in virtually identical cases where prisoners are seeking to have their spiritual advisors present in the execution room. My point is that the use of the shadow docket means we have no idea what justified the disparate treatment of these men. And when the difference is life or death, even the appearance of arbitrary decision-making risks the very legitimacy of our legal system. And you heard something similar from D.C. Solicitor General Lauren Ali Khan, who was another Democratic witness at yesterday's hearing, where she kind of talked about that similar point is that when you don't, and you kind of mentioned this too, Natalie, is that when you don't know what the actual underlying driving rationale from the Supreme Court is in some of these shadow docket decisions, there's not really a lot of guidance, not just for lower courts, but, you know, for, for members of the public or for public officials. Take, you know, the Supreme Court's recent decision um, lifting the pr- California's prohibition on indoor religious services during the pandemic, when the court, in a kind of a short, unsigned order, said that you know they ruled in favor of church bringing these constitutional claims that those restrictions you know didn't pass uh, scrutiny, the appropriate level of scrutiny, but also the the court maintained the capacity restrictions in California. So you know on the one hand they lifted the total ban on indoor church, but they said that California could keep enforcing, you know, its 25% capacity restrictions. And there was never like an in-depth conversation, uh, you know, in, in by the court of, you know, how it kind of came, to, what the majority's view of the legal issues were. And, and DC Solicitor General Ali Khan kind of suggested that, you know, this is making it very hard for public health officials say in dc to decide you know how what should be the appropriate level of restrictions on say religious services i think something i i I was really struck by listening to to the hearing yesterday i know we've talked about some of the democratic witnesses but this is really a bipartisan concern um you know the the committee's ranking member uh daryl isa of california and, and several other republicans also came down pretty hard on this um, in their questioning and, you know, in, in, in kind of this push for that high interest cases should have a more, you know, complete answer to, to how, you know, how the justices are voting and, and what the underlying elements are. Um, but I also was struck by how they had some different concerns about the shadow docket. Jimmy, do you want to get into that a little bit? That's right. I think it's just worth stating the obvious here, and that is that the Supreme Court currently has a conservative majority and a lot of the you know democratic and progressive concerns with some of these rulings have come in cases where there have been for instance uh conservative victories maybe you know take um this recent example of the supreme court kind of ruling in favor of 
uh, religious claims to continue having, you know, services through the pandemic. And so obviously, you know, the Republican uh, House members on the committee are going to approach the shadow docket issue from a little bit of a different perspective. And one of the most salient points that they made was about the rise of nationwide injunctions like we saw during the Trump administration. Now, I mentioned earlier that some of these shadow docket rulings had come, you know, in cases involving uh, Trump administration policy. Now, uh, you know, several of the House members in yesterday's hearing were suggesting that, you know, the rise in the shadow docket could also be traced to the rise of, you know, district courts around the country enforcing these nationwide injunctions blocking, you know, for instance, the, the Trump administration from enforcing its, you know, immigration policies, for instance. And they suggest that maybe one way to tamp down on the rise of these shadow docket rulings is to, you know, through some kind of uh, whether it's legislations or some kind of other mechanism um, to prevent these district court judges from being able to kind of impose this kind of sweeping relief of a nationwide injunction. And that's at least what um, the GOP's sole witness yesterday, uh, Florida State University uh, law professor uh, Michael Morley, suggested was a way to at least get rid of one of the contributing factors. Nationwide injunctions have certainly contributed at least a bit of a bump to some of these shadow docket rulings that we've seen. But as uh, one of the other witnesses, a University of Texas law professor all around SCOTUS with and friend of uh, our podcast, Stephen Vladek, um, mentioned, they actually aren't the majority of, of what's been driving the increase in shadow docket rulings in the last few years. Um, and, and it, you know, his take was to perhaps tweak the jurisdiction of the court um, and, and to possibly push more cases to the merits. Uh, you know, he, he, he noted that the court has uh, significantly cut down on the number of oral arguments it hears uh, every term. It's currently around 60 or 70 uh, cases, but it used to be about 100 yeah, or for much of the 20th century, the court would come down with like 150 merits opinions, and that has gone down to pretty much historic lows in, in recent terms. So his whole point, yeah, in his testimony yesterday was to kind of try and take pressure off of the shadow docket to give the justices a little bit more opportunity to weigh in on this these issues and he was you know he was clear to say that there would always be cases that would have to be decided on an expedited basis but the general impression among a lot of court watchers right now is that some of these cases could probably be set for oral argument where the public would be able to kind of you know hear a little bit more about what the justices were thinking and then read what the justices had to say when they handed down their decisions and it's hard to say kind of after the hearing wrapped whether there will be any significant you know, legislative solutions, you know, uh, much less ones that will pass uh, to come out of the hearing. But, um, you know, at, at least the, the general public now is starting to get a little bit more insight into this issue of the lack of transparency on the court's shadow docket and maybe a little bit of a signal um, to the justices that, hey, you know, we're paying attention, even if you're releasing some of these orders at you know, 1130 on a Friday night when no one's really paying attention and we don't like it. And we think that, you know, as uh, the chairman said in the beginning of the hearing, justice needs to be done out in public in full view of people to in order for them to really accept the, the, the results that the court reaches. Yeah. And for the record, when, when Jimmy said we don't like it, he was meaning the, the lawmakers, but 
I, I, I think that also goes for we we the reporters don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> no, I love getting uh, yeah. I, I love learning about you know major significant decisions coming down at <laughs> you know eleven thirty on a Friday. Well, Jimmy, this has been great, great conversation. Um, I hope our listeners have enjoyed it too. Uh, I think that just about does it for us uh, this this week. Pretty much. Uh, thanks, Natalie, for for chatting, and and thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We'd like to thank our producers and editors, Stephen Trader and Danielle Smith, and our executive producer, Amber McKinney. Music for the show comes from Slenderbeats. For more information about all the high court action, please go to law360.com slash the term. You can also find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search Law360 in the term. Thanks for listening. And oh, please write us a review. 